Hello, you're listening to Bricks and Mortar from EG with Sarah Jackman. On today's EG podcast, I'm joined by Nigel Mapp and Sean Greathead from real estate consultancy firm Mapp, which specialises in property management and looks after approximately £14 billion worth of real estate. We're speaking today to have a look at how they manage workplace culture and why people at the very heart of everything that they do. Nigel, Sean, many thanks for joining me today. Nigel, you founded the firm back in 1998 with a commitment to put people first. Why is that important and how does it shape the firm culturally? My gosh, that's two very big questions. I think it sort of was embedded in me because I was at a company. It was a small business and I I remembered very clearly the times when I when I felt that uh, I was being treated well and times when 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 perhaps that wasn't quite so great. Um, you know, I was an employee. I remember what it was like. So I think when I started the business, it just came naturally. I don't think we initially set out to do it, uh, but I just wanted people to have you know a good experience. Um, and when you can set up a business from scratch, you're much more able to do that. So that was just embedded. It just became very natural and very, very normal part of the sort of the way we operated. But clearly, we're now nearly 500 people. And so you actually have to physically do something about that (laughs) and have systems and processes and really work on the the culture uh, and the vision and the values. Because if you don't, what sort of happens is that, you know, with all the people joining us and say we're now 500 people, unless you do it, people just sort of revert to type. So uh, we have to be very intentional about the culture uh, and about portraying our values and speaking about our values and also showing those values. It's no good just talking about them. You need to live them out uh, as a senior leadership team day in, day out. And that leads me then on to my next question. I mean, how, how do some of those commitments and that thinking, how have they translated into policy and practice? Well, I mean, I'll let Sean talk a little bit about that. But but practically speaking, I think we just try really hard to be human. I think we try really hard to encourage our people and remind our people that they're all adults and they're all grown ups. So we don't have this sort of, you know, top down, you must do this, you must do that type culture. Yes, we've got systems and processes which people need to follow. But in terms of things like returning to the office, for example, you know, we were reading all these articles by other firms and obviously people put a lot of thought into to, to what hybrid working looks like in a post-pandemic environment. Um, but, but our feeling was that a lot of these firms were being very top down. We expect you to do this. Well, we said to our people very broadly, there is a document that sort of sets it out in a bit more detail. You're grown ups. We expect you to make the right decisions. And, and if you don't make the right decisions, we'll have a little conversation with you. It's a little bit like our, our dress code. Uh, which we put in place many, many years ago, which was broadly, we expect you to to dress appropriately. You're grown ups, you can decide what's appropriate. But, you know, by the way, beachwear and flip flops probably aren't appropriate or whatever we put in there. So it's just about dealing and 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 managing your people as as sort of your your peers and as grown ups and, and adults who are capable of making the right decision. I think one other big thing that we we did uh, over 10 years ago now, quite a long time ago, is like most firms that specialise in property management, we had a, an A company and we had a B company. And the A company were all the surveyors and the accountants and the support teams, the corporate support team. And then in the B company, and no one ever 
of course, talks about A and B company, but it was a B company. We employed our FMs and our site team. And, and one day I woke up thinking, hold on, we keep telling our site team who make up about 40 percent of our workforce, by the way, that they're really, really important. They're as important as everyone else. They're absolutely vital uh, to the buildings we manage. Yet we employ them in a B company and they don't have the same benefits and everything else. And we only did that because everybody else did it that way. And so we changed that. We said, actually, no more. You're all going to work together. So our site team, our FMs now work alongside the surveyors and the accountants. And the, the difference, I mean, Sean and I were talking about this the other day, in, in the way that they engage with us, the way that they feel uh, empowered and mm. treated, it, it's just revolutionary. So I think that's another good example of, of what we've done. Sean, do you, do you want to talk a little bit more about the policy and the practice side yeah. of things and really what's worked and what you've seen on the ground and, and really the sort of feedback that you get from your people from employing they, those sorts of policies and practice? Well, you know, building on what Nigel was saying, one of the key principles is if you're asking someone to look after a multi-million pound building and you treat them like a school student, you're not really going to get a buy-in. But if we're saying you're an adult and you look after this building and you're a human being and we treat you with that respect and that responsibility, you get a very different response. And you can see it with how people engage and connect with us and the feedback we get. Uh, we recently did a, a well-being survey where we asked the question, OK, it's been 18 months of a, a pandemic. How are you doing? And some of the feedback was pretty clear, like people were saying, yeah, I'm doing OK, but it's been really tough. Uh, a few other people said, actually, I'm not doing that great and I need some help. And we sat down and had a conversation with those people and it was anonymous. So line managers sat down with their teams and said, how are you doing? What do we need to do differently? And off the back of that, we could make very different decisions because people told us where they were coming from and how they were feeling. And a simple thing, you know, some people flagged the fact that uh, one of our benefits, we didn't offer a dental scheme in the same way as they wanted. So we made that change. I mean, we literally did it in about six weeks because we were listening. And that, for me, is one of the key things that we've learned over time. The more we listen, the better the feedback we get. And our site teams feedback that they feel included and feel part of a wider organization rather than the, the second cousin that no one really wants to talk about. And I, I suppose a very simple example, we have a member of our site team whose wife is really not well and in the final stages of, of, of cancer treatment that doesn't look like it's going to work. And when we heard this, we just picked up the phone and said to the line manager, well, we can do one thing and that's give them time. So let them go and be together and see how we can make that work. We got a long and detailed response of like, thank you so much. But it's about being human. He's not an outsourced function. He's a human being. And as a result, we've got someone who's who recognizes what we're trying to do and is passionately involved in in who we are as a business and, and what we're wanting to achieve, which is brilliant. So I think the way Sean will talk about it, the, the way we conduct, you know, in, in, in what many firms still call appraisals is also radically different and just allows for much more frequent and constant interaction uh, as opposed to this great big thing that seems to to sort of uh, appear in the distance somewhere yeah. and takes over. So, you know, when we do reviews, it's a conversation. How, how many people have talked about, oh, I'm, I've got my, my annual appraisal and I'm really nervous. Now, my comment is well, you shouldn't be because nothing should be new and have that conversation and then talk about it. We do something slightly different where every single uh, review is overseen by a member of the people team. And we sit down with each line manager and we go through it and go, 
hang on a moment, last time you said this person should be up for promotion, what's happening there? Or you said the person wasn't performing well, what's changed? What's not changed? And as a result, people feel engaged and they go, actually, someone's going to read this. It's not going to go into the ether and disappear. And we encourage regular conversations. So suddenly you have a level of involvement about your role, but also your growth, your development, and, and you're, you're part of something bigger, not just someone who sits on the side. I mean, one of the things we, we do a values day for our new joiners uh, that Nigel hosts and has an opportunity to meet a lot of the new joiners. And the, the question often gets asked about legacy and, you know, what do we want people to, to feel at MAP? And the words that come out from Nigel, I'm speaking on his behalf, is we want people to look back and go, that was the MAP was the best place I ever were. And for me, that that's something we're passionate about. And we hear that story come back to us. We, we joke about boomerangs, you know, people who go, well, I'm going to go and look elsewhere. I'm going to go and explore another career elsewhere. And then we get a phone call a couple of months later saying, that was a really bad idea. Can I come back? And, and you know, for us, that's a sign that we're doing a good job. Yeah, and we have had people come back, uh, yeah. which is great. I mean, one, one thing that we're hearing a lot about at the moment is the great resignation, awful lot of people on the move and new jobs at the moment. In terms of talent retention, then, how do some of your policies feed through into retention? And to what extent have you been affected by the great resignation? Well, I mean, from from this premise, if we just look at numerically, we've actually done okay. We've had a slight uptick. A few people have said, actually, I want to go and change careers completely. So it's not about MAP. It's about actually, I want to make a different set of life choices. And that's that's great that someone feels comfortable that that's the choice they can make. We we haven't seen a huge number of people who've gone. I don't want to work here anymore because I don't like the place. It's been uh, it's been about other things outside of that. So on a numerical base, we've probably had a slight uptick in turnover, but nothing, nothing where I'm kind of keeping me awake at night. What we have seen is people going, how do I progress my career? That's the question more than more than anything else. And we've had some really good conversations. You know, we promote about 10 to 12 percent of our non-site based people every year. That's a really positive message um, that people have an opportunity to grow their careers and to move. Uh, we, we have, you know, one of our executive directors who only started with us two and a half years ago. And she's had, you know, two promotions since she started. I mean, what a great story to have. And I think that for me is the exciting part is that we can tell stories of people who have started their careers and who've grown massively and have an opportunity to explore. In terms of talent retention, then, would you say that it's above average, that it is strong within the firm? I would, with a degree of confidence, yes. Um, And I think that comes out of the fact that we put a lot of responsibility on culture, uh, on our line managers and what we expect out of them. Because at the end of the day, with 500 people, our level of direct contact with every single person from a leadership team is, is quite limited. But it's not to say that none of the senior leadership team are are not accessible. It's about recognizing that, you know, if you're working on a site in Scotland, your access to a, you know, a senior leadership team is much less. So we create those opportunities and we create that dialogue for us to engage with that group of people. You know, Nigel has uh, company meetings, you know, a couple of times a year. We have town halls where we tell stories about what teams are doing. 
We also provide opportunity for those individuals to feedback to us. You know, we have culture surveys and engagement surveys, but we ask people questions. Tell us how we can be better at this. One of my favorite parts about how we connect is every year we have something called our Hero Awards, where we invite everybody to nominate someone who's just been brilliant. I, I get to read all the stories. We had 140 nominations, which was fantastic. So that means, you know, out of 500 people, you've got 30% of the business has been nominated by a peer for an award. I mean, you know, what a celebration of, of each individual. And that's that level of engagement from the entire business is what drives it, because we can't only drive it from a leadership perspective. We just talked about three other things, Sarah, which I think are really important we haven't talked about. One, one is our structure. So uh, I think there's, there's a couple of things out of that. Firstly, we're independently owned. Mm-hmm. So David and I own the business. So we, we've got a different set of objectives to, to say if we're a PLC. You know, we can make decisions that are in the interests of, of people, not shareholders. So I think that's really important. Secondly, on that bit about our structure is that primarily we are a property management business. So we are able to recruit great people and we're able to retain those people because when they come here, they're not just a department in a in a large global business uh, where property management tends to be one of those service lines. And and, you know, sometimes it, it might not be the most important service line in that business. Quite often it's not. Uh, certainly not the most profitable one. Uh, But when they come here, it's all we do. So we're all on the same level. So there's nobody who feels like they're above each other or everything else. We all muck in together. I think that's really important. And the second thing to say is uh, we recognised very early on in the pandemic that if we were going to get people back into the office, and I think we all acknowledge that getting people back into the workplace, uh, you know, not not five days a week, but, but for a good portion of the week is really important, that we needed to invest in our offices and make our offices much more relevant uh, to create spaces where people come together and collaborate as opposed to coming together and sitting at a desk and banging out a load of emails. So uh, we have reopened our London office following a very significant refurbishment, spent well over a million pounds refurbishing it. We've taken new offices in Birmingham, taken new offices in Manchester. Um, We're looking at refurbishing our offices in Bristol and taking new offices in Glasgow because we recognise that the offices that we had, whilst they were totally functional and great, really weren't going to to be a place where people thought, wow, I must go back to the office. So uh, we've done that. The third thing that I think is really important, which we haven't talked about, is we want to have some fun. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we, we love having fun. So, you know, we are still great big advocates of the big Christmas party. We also have a summer day away where, you know, the whole company comes. Quite a big thing. But getting people together to have some fun uh, is really important, as well as a load of other social events. I host uh, birthday drinks for anybody who's got a birthday in January or in February for February, uh, you know, uh, and we have loads of events here as well uh, in the office, stuff around Blue Monday, uh, you know, last drinks on a Friday, you know, all that sort of stuff, the Matt Bake Off. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on that helps build community, which is really important. I talk a lot on this podcast series about the development of of careers in real estate, just in terms then of supporting people who are perhaps coming into the industry and perhaps um, just learning the ropes and setting out on exploring different pathways. 
what sort of support have you got in place for them? I know that you run an apprenticeship scheme. Do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and some of the initiatives that help to support the next generation through their career? Well, just thinking about, uh, we kind of really drove the apprenticeship program that we started uh, about two and a half, you know, about two years ago. So literally just before the pandemic it kicked off. Uh, and I think we've employed 15 all in all uh, apprentices and it, we, we made the decision that we wanted to specifically focus on young people who didn't necessarily have the easiest start in life and we wanted to have provide an opportunity to people who didn't necessarily have an opportunity before. And we started and wow, it accelerated quickly. I mean, we started with two and, and now it's 15 in the space of you know 18 months, which has been a fantastic driver. We've just recruited two young graduates in our surveying space who um, are on the process of doing the APC. And the key focus for us is the opportunity for, for people to explore their careers and to learn, but creating a, a process where you're not part of a machine, where you're not one of 50 graduates, where you have to kind of elbow your way to the top and, and hopefully you'll get a job at the end. Um, this is much more about how do we create a long-term career path for people who, who want to be part of MAP and want to learn and be part of real estate. And the feedback has been incredibly positive from those people who are participating, but also from the line managers and the people around them. One of the, one of the comments that came out of uh, one of the line managers is, I remember starting the same journey and, you know, I, I want to be able to give back. And so that's why I, you know, I want this person to join my team. And that's what it's about, you know, creating opportunities. We, we, we're looking to see how we can continue to grow that. But uh, but the challenge is, is you know, timing and, and, and where we find uh, the young people. So but that's that's a, a high quality problem to have, you know, finding people rather than do we have the opportunities. And how have you managed to support younger people um, through their careers over the last couple of years when so much of um, work life has had to go online? Well, we've done a couple of things. One is we've got two members of the people team who specifically uh, invest in both the line manager as well as the, the member of staff. Uh, one is our, our head of L&D. So she, she has designed the whole program. We have what we call development cohorts where over 12 months they spend half a day on a subject uh, from report writing to client management. And so we do uh, a process um, where, we, where we kind of step outside of the traditional academic space and, and start looking at those, the, what you would call the, the professional skills that may not be come through university education, you know, writing that email to a client where you've got to give them uh, news that they don't necessarily want to hear. Um, how do you do that in a way where it adds value rather than uh, anything else? That's not something that's easy to learn on the fly. So creating those spaces. So our L&D managers designed all of that. And then one of our, our HR business partners meets with the line manager and meets with the apprentice every month, talk through what's working, what's not, the challenges they're facing. You know, for some of these young people, they've never really had an opportunity to work in an office before. And how do they meet their peers? How do they understand what are the rules that, you know, a lot of people, that culture, that culture capital that you've, you've learned because you've done it for five or 10 years and you know the rules, but no one's ever sat down and explained those to you. But if, you, if, if someone hasn't, then you're going to make mistakes. And so how do we help people not make those mistakes? And so it's, you know, going back to what Nigel said earlier, it's the intentional decision making that you, you, you 
we, we act on in order to get the best out of people and but not in that, that they get the best out of the experience yeah and you you talk there about you know the guidance and support that the apprentices um receive to help develop their career i mean to what extent does mentoring and and buddying play a role in in the culture of the firm generally it's it's a huge part of it because it's not you know learning is a social activity you learn from the people around you you learn from from someone who's done it before who's made mistakes you know we often use the description as you don't, never want to pay the same school fees twice so if i've made mistakes learn from mine you know don't don't do my mistakes and trying to connect people together and getting those buddies not only in in individual teams but cross team you know if if you're a building manager in london you have a huge amount to add to someone who runs a retail outlet it's different but the the reverse is also true so the opportunity for a center manager who runs in, running a retail site can share their experience with uh, a building manager in central London because it's about occupiers, it's about customers, it's about how do we create great service. I often think about that the the you know the the, the skills that were learned by the copier industry by copying what was being done in the airplane industry. But if no one had had that conversation, people would have wouldn't have learned. And so that's a key part of it of those shared experiences. Uh, in different parts of our business. I'm just thinking then about the last couple of years and, and how everyone's had to adapt to changed working practices and so on. What do you think will be the key takeaways for you? I mean, what sort of things stand out in your mind and, and will you implement into you know everyday culture and, and people policy going forward? I think it's become very clear that there are some activities that need to take place or better taking place in an office environment. Mm -hmm. And there are other activities that can happen at home or anywhere, work from anywhere. So for me, it's interesting, Sarah, I've largely worked in this way for the last 23 years since we set the business up. So, you know, I'm just now seeing people work in the same way that I've been working, not that I'm a, a model of productivity, but um, it's clear that, you know, for me, uh, I need to be in the West End to see people, whether that's clients, whether that's colleagues, whether it's, you know, some of my peers. That's when I need to be in the West End or in the city. But if I'm writing a report or I've got a day where I just need to do a bunch of emails or some thinking, then that's probably better done elsewhere where I can just concentrate and I don't need a huge level of interaction. So I think people recognising that there are different facets to their work rather than I'm going to work and you've got a bunch of meetings and you've got two hours of emails uh, and then you might be going out to look at a building that I think people are starting to delineate uh, much more clearly uh, what needs to happen where. Um, And I hope that leads to, to greater levels of productivity. I don't think people are hugely productive working in office five days a week trying to do all that stuff. But I also don't think they're hugely productive working at home trying to do all that five days a week. Hopefully, if they can uh, work out where they're productive doing particular tasks, that will lead to much more efficiency and happier people as well. They won't be so frustrated. So for me, that's a big takeaway, along with, as we've already talked about, having a great workplace. I think that is also the place. Now, I think, you know, organisations have recognised that the workplace needs to be a great place. 
And what does a great workplace look like for you? I mean, you talk about the refurb of, of your London office and the taking of new space regionally. What does the office look like for you in the future? Oh, you just come have a look. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's bright, it's colourful, it's contemporary, it's cheerful. It's somewhere that is, you know, better than home. I, you know, my wife always says, Nigel, we're only going away on holiday if where we're going is nicer than our home. Uh, and it's a similar sort of thing. You know, why come to a, you know, a, a slightly grungy office when you can sit at home and, and you know, look outside and, you know, so and so, whatever it is. So it's got to be better than home. So it's got to be inviting. It's got to be warm. Uh, it's got to have places where people can get together and yep. work together as opposed to rows and banks and banks of desks, which we used to have. We've given up everyone having their own desk. I know that that probably happened for lots of businesses years ago. But it never felt it was the right thing for us to do because people were sitting at their desks for hours on end. Now they're not. They're coming in because they're meeting with people, whether that's clients or, or colleagues or others. It's got to be have some bit of fun. We talked about the fun before. Uh, so, you know, in terms of, you know, refreshments and entertainment and events going on and pop ups and food coming in. You know, you, you want all that going on uh, as well. And clearly we're just starting to return to that this week. It was really interesting yesterday. I, sorry, I walked in today and the building manager downstairs said that yesterday was the first day that 180 Great Portland Street, which is where our London office is, mm. felt like it was back to pre-pandemic levels, which was great to hear. And in terms then of people policy over the next couple of years, I mean, you've recently established the apprenticeship program which you're obviously looking to grow what what are the key things for you over the next couple of years and and how do you really hope to evolve your focus on people i mean one of the key the key things from a conversation perspective is around the area of diversity you know i often reflect on, on going to a property awards dinner about five years ago and it was 80 percent men and it's it's a tragic history uh, of what's happened in the past, but we see a, a change within within the industry and within MAP. You know, we've got you know, 51% of our non-site staff are, are women, which is brilliant, and we are promoting and growing that element. And that's something we have to be intentional about uh, as part of a wider industry, but also as a representative uh, organization that we want a diversity in all its forms within us as an organization. And, and that is a, a strategic objective that we talk about uh, and we wrestle with how do we do it better. Um, we, we had a consultant come in uh, beginning of last year who did a, a survey across the business and asked tough questions and we did pretty well. But it told us where we are, but it also told us where we're not and where we need to be. And so making those decisions about who we recruit and how we grow internally and how do we open doors for people who didn't have that. And that's adds to that whole journey on the apprenticeship scheme, but also the recognition that as we grow as an organization, you know, we were 400 people a year ago and 300 people a year before that. So wonderful growth, but with that means that a lot of people are still learning about map culture and what it means to be part of that. And how do we, you know, kind of bring that language and that approach to work, treating people like adults, being kind, being passionate. That's part of the journey as well. I think that's the most important thing. I mean, I think, you know, diversity and increasing that level of diversity is very important. But I think probably our biggest job in 2022 mm. is bringing people back together. Yeah. Bringing people back together and 
letting them uh, soak in you know what makes map a great place to work so they get to to see it and feel it experience it um, and start delivering it themselves as well um, and we're gonna have to work really really hard at that i think you know we we're gonna need some help uh, and we're gonna have to set aside quite a large chunk of the year both here in the offices and also potentially off-site as well to really get people there's so many people haven't met each other they don't even know who their colleagues are so you know how you then start to build back the culture which still is there the foundations are still there yeah. but it's like a bit a few weeds have grown over it you know and it needs a good old dust off so that people can start to see it again uh, and start to really experience it that brilliant analogy we'll leave it there thank you so much for joining me today it's been a pleasure to speak to you both and, and to hear a little bit more about map and and really the the culture and and your people focus thank you all right thanks, thanks sarah that was bricks and mortar from eg with sarah jackman for more on developing a career in real estate see the archive of the bricks and mortar series at popbean.com and the egi archive at egi.co dot uk.